Good evening, and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, I am totally excited about this new year and about all the plans we have to bring you an in-depth look at some of the movers and shakers making LGBT news headlines here locally and on the national scene. It's important to stay informed and involved, and I hope we can help you do just that with our weekly Outbeat News segments that you can hear here every Sunday night during Outbeat Radio, and then again on Mondays during NPR's Morning Edition and again in the afternoon during All Things Considered. Well, 2018 also marks 20 years since Matthew Shepard was murdered in one of the most notorious hate crimes of our time. More importantly today is the legacy of his story and the change it has fueled. The Matthew Shepard James Byrd Hate Crimes Prevention Act added sexual orientation and gender identity to federal hate crimes law, which has been critically important in providing a way to prosecute hate crimes in many states that still today don't recognize sexual orientation or gender identity as a special class in hate crimes law. Now, this last October, we traveled to Denver for the annual Matthew Shepard Foundation Gala. The wildfires here in Sonoma County happened at the same weekend, so we couldn't share this event with you then. So we're going to kick off our first show of 2018 and the 20th year of Matthew's legacy by sharing some highlights from that night's gala. So stay with us. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, January 28th, 2018. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of January 28th, 2018. LGBTQ Nation reports Ethan Stables, a 20-year-old British neo-Nazi, was foiled in his attempt to slaughter LGBT people at a pub in Cumbria, England. Police arrested Stables near the pub, performing reconnaissance before attacking. Stables spent several months researching weapons, including how to make explosives and firearms, according to the prosecutor, Jonathan Staniford. Staniford told the court, quote, on June 23rd, the defendant became aware that the New Empire Public House was going to host an LGBT event, a Pride Night, and he was enraged at that. He began to take photographs in that reconnaissance with a view to a launch and attack later that evening. Stables told members of the neo-Nazi group on Facebook about his plans. A woman who saw his post notified police. After being released on bail, Staples took to Facebook again and proclaimed himself a white nationalist. And here in the U.S., anti-LGBT violence hit a new high in 2017. According to a report published by the National Coalition of Anti-Violence Project, a nonprofit watchdog group created to monitor crimes against the LGBT community, 52 individual crimes against LGBT took place last year, up from 28 the year before. According to their new report, crimes against transgender Americans and queer men overwhelmingly comprised the new statistics. Of the 52 crimes documented, 22 were against transgender women of color. Crimes against gay and bisexual men rose from 4 in 2016 to 20 in 2017. The organization has linked the uptick in violence to a singular entity. They believe the Trump-Pence White House, which has fueled anti-LGBT rhetoric on a national scale, is responsible. On a more positive note, Apache pilots Captain Daniel Hall, 30 years old, and Captain Vinnie Francino, 26, have been the first active-duty gay couple to be married at West Point. The couple currently stationed together at Fort Bliss were married at the New York School's Cadet Chapel on January 23rd in front of friends, family, and military officers. The couple proudly walked down the aisle in their blue mess uniforms and received a saber-arch salute upon leaving the chapel. 
The reception was held in New Jersey, where they cut a cake using Hall's Officer Sabre, a graduation gift from his grandmother. Hall and Franchino met in 2009, and that following year chose each other for a mentorship program. It was then that their feelings for one another began to develop, but due to Don't Ask, Don't Tell, they had to keep them hidden. They didn't go on their first date until 2012 and immediately faced homophobia. Franchino's father told the New York Times, quote, Without a doubt, Vinny is absolutely a happier person today than he was before he met Dan, end quote. And finally, here locally, the Sonoma County Pride Planning Committee invites your participation at their next meeting, scheduled for 7 p.m. on Wednesday, February 7th at the Northwood Restaurant on Guerneville Road in Guerneville. For a calendar of LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. It's hard to believe 20 years has passed since I first read the headlines about a 21-year-old gay college student who'd been brutally beaten in Laramie, Wyoming. Many of my students weren't even born yet, let alone remember the story. It was an October evening when Matthew was coerced away from a bar in Laramie, Wyoming. Laramie is a college town. It's home to the state's one and only university, and Matt was a first-semester college student there. His killers saw him sitting alone at a bar, and they approached him, posing as two gay men, in order to lure him away. Once in their truck, they beat Matt with an 8-inch revolver. They robbed him and then drove him to the other side of town, where they tied him to the base of a fence and beat him until he was unconscious. Eighteen hours later, a mountain biker found Matt's body and called police. Matthew Shepard died five days later, surrounded by his family. And there was an international response, and the story made headlines around the world. His parents, Judy and Dennis Shepard, almost immediately formed the Matthew Shepard Foundation in order to pursue rights and protections for LGBT people, and more specifically, to expand hate crimes legislation, which didn't even exist in Wyoming. In fact, still today, it doesn't exist. And this is why the federal hate crime law named after Matthew Shepard is so important. Every year, the foundation hosts a gala to celebrate Matt's legacy and to raise awareness about the ongoing need for LGBT civil rights. Their mission is to replace hate with understanding, compassion, and acceptance. I'm here at the Westin Hotel in downtown Denver. The gala's underway. There are about 450 guests walking around browsing silent auction items. So let's go inside, grab a seat, and listen to tonight's guest speakers. The first speaker tonight is the executive director of the Matthew Shepard Foundation, Jason Marsden. Now, Jason was a personal friend of Matthew Shepard's, and today he leads the organization in Matt's name. This is a welcoming place for all of us to celebrate this cause and to celebrate each one of you. You all are here together tonight to ensure that this big-hearted, finely-tuned, tireless little organization has what it takes for another year to lift up what is good and hopeful in this world. It's, um, it's easy to be optimistic when things are going your way. Courage is, uh, comes pretty easily when we see progress marching right on forward. But 
Our substance is tested when our adversaries have the upper hand. Then, in grief, we have to answer, do we also have grace? It's been a heartbreaking and maddening couple of months as the sweeping nature of our society's recent changes have come into focus. Every day, we see behavior and we hear rhetoric that we all would have once found unimaginable, and now practically routine and repeated until we start to feel eroded and dull underneath its relentless abrasion. To catalog the many injustices being visited on our fellow Americans of many intersecting diverse identities is no way to begin our evening. But those in our country who were bettered and made more complete by the historic accomplishments of this movement, they now feel the loss of that progress and they're afraid they might not see its like again. Many of us who do this work found ourselves thrust into it by some unexpected tragedy and trauma, losing a friend or a son or a partner. We challenge ourselves almost by reflex to respond. Across all the social justice movements, this is a story we're used to hearing. It's a story that we're trained to adopt as our own. Tragedy causes deep, resonant pain. Pain and anger make us get up every day to fight for social change. This is the narrative of how this work happens, right? We battle our way through helplessness. It's just one problem with this philosophy. It lacks grace. It means we must forever hurt and never heal, or our power to do good will somehow slip out of our grasp. So we keep on hurting to keep on giving, because this philosophy says what we give is really only truly of service if it comes from some real deep grief. My friends, all of us here are tired. We're upset. We're all grieving. We're all harboring this pain. We're all angry with our government. But we have a government of the people. So we find we're angry with ourselves and one another. And at a time like this, when there's so much that is so personal to us that is going so wrong, we cannot afford to always stay dwelling in anger and in pain. We must do better. We must do better. And at the Matthew Shepard Foundation, we do better. In our work, we bring together marginalized people and the powerful to talk to each other about how to share responsibility for how we're all treated. We bring together community activists and police to do the hard work of talking about the solemnity of law and the duty of the people who enforce it. We bring together traditionalists and nonconformists, a lot, a lot of nonconformists, <laughs> to help them agree that there are shared commitments between us and between our generations. 
We lead courageous conversations about how to better serve one another. We lead them in every corner of this country. And we empower educators and parents and neighbors to serve one another, whether our government wants to cooperate or not. And we're winning. We're winning. We are winning. Who's on this road with us? Most Americans, most companies, most schools, most parents. And those who are not with us, we need to reach them. We need to reach them where they are. We need to reach their hearts. They're not lost to us, not yet. Not if we approach them with compassion and with acceptance and with understanding and we listen and we learn. We are the ones who survive. So we are the ones who will fix this. Not Hollywood, not Washington, not Wall Street. It falls to us and to no one else. Because for the gift of still being here together, we owe one another a better world. Being creative is uh, free. Being useful requires resources. <laughs> and we have to be both. And we need your help to do it. People often come and thank us for the work we do. I mean it when I say thank you for making this rewarding work possible. You help us prevent other people from losing what we who knew Matt lost. Our loss gets bigger every day that he's not here. But we're watching for the next tragedy, the loss we really fear, the loss that doesn't have to happen at all. And your graceful and poignant thoughts and words have inspired us in this work. Matt changed our lives, and, and so did you. And you still do today. So, if you feel things aren't going our way, be optimistic. We've got this. If you feel this is a time of trial, damn right. Be courageous. A tragedy brought us here, but it's not what keeps us in our seats tonight. That's the progress that we made, despite all the odds. So together, now, tonight, let's heal. Let's heal our wounds, and let's build some justice. And let's not build it out of grief, but from grace, because this is our movement. Let's take it where it needs to go. Thank you. Each year, the Matthew Shepard Foundation recognizes one or two young people who have made some extraordinary contribution, either as a role model or allied to the community. The young people honored each year have always been amazing and leave me feeling truly inspired, and this year was no exception. Here's tonight's first award recipient, Alyssa Malio. She organized 49 presentations of the Laramie Project around the country to honor each of the victims of the Pulse nightclub shooting. To say thank you from the bottom of my heart would not be enough. Playing a role in what I can maybe call the Laramie Project Project 20 years later will remain the greatest pride of my life. The LPP remains on Google Docs and in my Gmail drafts without this following, following blessedly long list of artist hearts. 
I represent the best high school on earth, my wonderland, Gloucester County Institute of Technology from Civil, New Jersey. <laughs> Being a cheetah means that I wake up every day to find that there is no waiting required to live my dreams. To my LPP team, Dylan, Kelly, Cassidy, Haley, Kayla, Alexa, Taylor, and Liam, for choosing to carry our flag and standing as the upperclassmen role models for cheetahs to come. To my GCIT teachers who are more like heroes. To Miss Kirsten Lynch Walsh, my project mentor. Neither of us had a clue what wave was crashing onto us as you suggested this Laramie project, project to me back on August 31st, 2016. To every single teacher and student, past, present, and future of the GCIT drama department, you are home. To the love of my life, GCIT Thespian Troop 5480. <laughs> yes, Thespian Strong. To my theater coaches outside of school, you've rewritten my definition of artist. To the New Jersey theater community where the arts are alive. To the Tectonic Theater Project for your enthusiastic endorsement of our LPP. Your play has granted me a life purpose. To Sarah Grossman for teaching me what the word advocate means. And to Lou Cisneros for championing the LPP from day one. <laughs> to Mr. and Mrs. Shepard for shaping the future of equal rights activism. To Julie Marie Chavez for bringing me Matthew's story first. Jewelry is activism. <laughs> to every member and friend of the Matthew Shepard Foundation for your dedication to the well-being of our community. To Gavin Grimm, fearless leader of the movement. To Drew Adams, my best buddy, a powerful force for good. To Jamie Wilson, I never thought I would stand on stage with a superstar in every sense of the word. To anyone who has ever accepted our LPP pins, the cast of Great Comet and Indecent and Come From Away on Broadway, whoever left the ones I left at Normandy Beach and the Boston Unitarian Church in Stonewall Inn just last week. <laughs> to all the platforms who have ever shared our LPP mission with their colleagues on social media by way of online written publications and with your families. My team is indebted to the 55 registered groups to date from 17 states and three, country, three other countries who have registered with the LPP and said yes to the statement that theater is advocacy and advocacy is theater. I perform all of my LPP business in the name of the Educational Theater Association, International Thespian Society, New Jersey State Thespians, and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, pillars of arts activism, and friends of the LPP. To my best friends from all over the world, having too many names to list here is the biggest blessing. To my entire family for standing with me in this fight. If I could shape the world into something that looked like every time we got together, it would be loud and wild and perfect. <laughs> to my sister Angela and my little cousin Sarah and Mia, I'm fighting for your future world. Every day I smile because I have you. 
the world lost 49 beautiful lives on June 12, 2016 in a horrendous act of hate. We will never stop missing you. I pray that we give you that we give proper tribute to your names with every LPP performance. One of the most personal lessons that was granted to me through the LPP was about identity. This is what made the LPP different from my elementary school campaigns for conservation and the ending of world hunger. When I researched for, for prospective LPP groups until the dawn, Mumford and Sons on full blast, as junior year never failed to bruise me, I bore both my identities, queer and artist, making it necessary to carry this out. <laughs> It was one of the most frightening things I've ever done, this new truthfulness about the glitter in my DNA. It was also one of the things that kept the LPP alive. It was also the rainbow heart pin pictures, the, orig the original cast recordings on repeat, and the hometown LPPs poking hopeful holes through my Facebook timeline that taught me to forget the notion of theater ever being useless. It was the presence of arts education at my high school that obligated me to never think quietly about the world. So when I describe myself as a femme, queer woman theater activist, it's given thanks to all the figures before me that gave me the challenge and courage to make that my name. I have learned that, that fear forces a person to become resourceful. If I never attend a mass gathering ever again, then I had better hold my own pride festival at my computer screen. because I owe it to both of my communities to be a little bit brave. I will never be afraid to keep my heart on my sleeve for my love of activism when Matthew was close by on my wrist. <laughs> I celebrated my coming out in attendance of a weekend-long theater workshop. I am not going to ignore how it was the stage that kept the earth below my feet during those days of my first greatest honesty. And I'm not going to ignore how the stage turned into an email inbox in my second greatest honesty. To Matthew, every day I try my best to send you an answer back from the message you first sent me my first out Christmas time. I know you knew that the sparkles and rainbow tag would stick out to me on that 15th birthday shopping spree. So let tonight be the testament to the fact that I am dedicating my time to teaching others your name. You spent your years loving activism and theater, so I'll keep your passions and try to make a life out of it. And with this honor, I gratefully usher in the next two phases of the LPP, tentatively debuting very, very soon, <laughs> after college things happen. Future LPP cast will utilize the cases convicted under the Shepherd Bird Hate Crimes Prevention Act to educate audiences about the persisting horror of hate crimes and how Matthew's legacy is erasing hate. Phase three is our long-term continuation of this project without, with an indefinite end, as we dedicate even more productions to every anti-gay hate crime victim that we can once we're given the proper green lights to do so. <laughs> Until the LPP has taken to the stage in all 50 states and in every country, nothing brings me more joy honor and responsibility than the ability to wear this pin on this stage and announce to myself that I am in this for the long run. My best attempt to express my gratitude will be to send some more emails. I've come out to the entirety of Philadelphia during, on stage during a slam. I've come out to the entire internet, by the way, of a theater blog. 
Now I stand on my new favorite stage, sorry GCIT, and come out to the ultimate activists. I figure if the LPP stops in 55 different locales so far, then so must I. If you're watching or listening to this and you've spent much of your life observing all your projects be content with, be content with staying on a document, you are a couple clicks away from bringing them to their real home. A couple clicks away from learning what the word love means. Liberate these projects and you'll liberate yourself. Hashtag art matters, my greatest thanks. Thank you so much. Remarkable, right? Well, the next young person recognized tonight is Jamie Wilson. He's a transgender man who has literally, on his own, built his career in music. What a talent he is. Thank you all. First, I want to thank Judy and Dennis, and I want to thank the Matthew Shepard Foundation for this incredible honor. Every single one of you here for coming here tonight and for being a part of the LGBT plus community and all allies. <laughs> I think we can all say that it's, it's not always easy to becoming yourself in this life. You go through a lot of hardships, whether you're in the LGBT community or not. But what makes a difference is telling a story. Dennis and Judy told a story that created a change. And I tell my story to hopefully create a change as well. <laughs> coming out as lesbian, bisexual, for me it was coming out as transgender. It's scary. That's why I think it's important to tell a story. A story creates change. It creates hope. It makes a difference. Here's a small glimpse of my story. I came out into a very conservative and very religious household. I'll never forget the day. It was February 4th, 2015. It was supposed to be the best day of my life. The day I finally started being myself. It turned into my mom's tears and my dad's screams. Flooded by words that I'll never forget. And believe me, I've tried to forget. But you can't forget when your own parents tell you that to them you are dead. I felt paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. My dad just sat there staring at me, telling me that I needed to change my appearance. I needed to be a woman to live under their household, or I wasn't allowed in the household at all. That night, I became a part of the 40% of youth that is LGBT and homeless. My belongings were taken from me. My horse, my dog, my own bed was no longer my own. And I was forced out into the world. You know what they couldn't take from me, though, was my soul. <laughs> they couldn't reach inside me and take my desires and my ambition to be everything that I have become and will become. They couldn't, take, they couldn't reach inside of me and take who I love. They couldn't alter who I love. You see, they took everything from me, but they took nothing at all. Because you can't take me away from me, and no one can take you away from you. I chose to share my story online about six months ago. I put a before and after photo up. It was scary, but it was something that I felt I needed to do. And I told a little bit of my story. When I did that, I started receiving messages from parents of transgender youth and LGBTQ youth telling me that because of my story, they have chosen to love and accept their children for who they are. That's when I realized that what I went through was for a reason, and the hell that I endured was totally worth it, if it can help somebody else. 
See, there's power in telling a story, and I think Dennis and Judy have shown us that here tonight. So I want to thank you for telling the story of Matthew. Thank you, guys. And here's Jamie Wilson with his original song, Falling. By your side, I hope this lasts. What did I do to get to lie next to you? The smell of your skin, the taste of your lips, you got me feeling so high. I can't come down from this. Well, I hope that you see what I see when I look at you, baby. I want you to see. What I see when I look at you, baby You've got me falling, you've got me falling You've got me falling for that sweet face You've got me falling, you've got me falling You've got me falling for your sweet face, baby
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Alpi News In-Depth here on KRCBFM Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. We're here tonight at the annual Matthew Shepard Foundation Gala at the Weston Hotel in beautiful downtown Denver. And so far, we've heard from some really amazing speakers. The next award recipient is Daniel Ramos. He's the executive director of One Colorado. Before taking on this role, he served as the deputy director and director of Safe and Inclusive Schools, as well as the political and organizing director. Here he is. Good evening, everyone. It's wonderful to see so many familiar faces here celebrating the work of the Matthew Shepard Foundation to erase hate in the communities we call home. Thank you to the incredible staff, the board of directors, and to Judy and Dennis Shepard for this recognition in honor of the legacy of Dennis Doherty. It's a great privilege to receive this award after two people whom I adore dearly, State Representative Leslie Harrod and Morris Price. <laughs> Leslie, You've been a great friend, a thought partner, and as the first openly gay African-American state legislator, you are writing a new chapter in Colorado's history. And Morris, Morris, your, in, your mentorship, your insight into the history of our movements, and your support as a fellow executive director have been instrumental in my success in leading One Colorado. I also... I also want to congratulate my fellow honorees, Jamie Wilson, Alyssa Saleo, and Secretary Eric Fanning. Both Jamie and Alyssa, Dennis would be so proud of you, because above all else, Dennis was deeply committed to our future generations. And Secretary Fanning, your leadership is a critical reminder that our movement must include the transgender community. I also have to acknowledge my incredible partner and the best plus one a guy could ask for, because Jordan, you know that I couldn't do this work without you. This recognition is so deeply connected to my early interactions with Dennis. Back when I was leading the Safe Schools program at One Colorado, we imagined a world where LGBTQ young people would feel safe in their schools and empowered to make change. And Dennis knew that education was the key to unlocking the potential of our youth. And for me, that's been the truth. As the first person in my family to go to college and to obtain a master's degree, I now have the privilege of leading the state's leading advocacy organization for LGBTQ Coloradans and their families, One Colorado. <laughs> Dennis was someone who would constantly lead by example. And he would remind us that we need to remember where we came from and that we need to give back. And what drives me to get up every day and do what I do is the stark reminder that Matthew's story could have been my story. I grew up in rural conservative Colorado in the small town of Sterling. For those who aren't familiar with Sterling, we're known for our darling Congresswoman Marilyn Musgrave, who famously claimed that the biggest threat to America was gay marriage. I came out in 1999 at the age of 13 to both of my parents, which was one year after Matthew's murder. And growing up in a Latino family, I remember the anxiety that I felt about how my family would respond when I told them I was gay. But what surprised me most wasn't their concerns about whether or not I'd get to marry the person that I love, whether I would be able to have kids and raise a family, or what my career trajectory looked like. Every time I left the house to go hang out with my friends, to go to a movie, or back then even go on a date, the thought, they thought of Matthew and considered what no parent should have to. Will this be the last time I see my child? 
I wish I could say this was no longer the case, but the sad reality is that every single day, black and brown families, families of transgender youth, and immigrant families all have to think about whether or not their children will come home safely or if they'll come home at all. And now, it's up to us. It's up to us to honor the legacy of Matthew and Dennis, to offer our time, our talents, and our treasures to organizations like the Matthew Shepard Foundation and to One Colorado, because together, we can ensure that no parent has to consider, will this be the last time? Thank you. The next individual honored tonight is Eric Fanning. He's the former Secretary of the Army, appointed by President Obama, and the very first openly gay man to ever have been named to this position. I'm very honored uh, to be here, uh, to be in Denver, to be here tonight with this foundation and to receive this award. I was 30 years old when Matthew Shepard was killed. It had a profound impact on me, as I know it did for everybody in this room. But I can't imagine what it meant to the Shepard family. Their strength and all that they have done and continue to do, and I know will do, are an inspiration for all of us. So thank you so much, um, Dennis and Judy. I have watched you and admired you for years, and this is the first time I've been able to say thank you. So thank you very much for all that you do. The purpose, of course, of the Matthew Shepard Foundation is to replace hate with understanding. I've long believed that the best way to do that is to be open about who you are to those around you, to do what you can to support those who are coming out, and to give a voice for those who do. I believe each of us coming out makes things better for all of us. I believe that coming out improves the lives of most of us who take this step. But I know it's not true for all. Some pay steep prices for living openly, and some pay the ultimate price. But it's as important today as ever in today's political climate for us to be visible. It makes a difference when people meet someone who's LGBTQ. We know that. It makes a difference for us to have a voice at the table. And society so clearly benefits when everyone can achieve his or her full potential, when we can harness all that we as a nation have to offer. I was in the Obama administration the entire eight years, all of it at the Pentagon. We worked to systematically knock down artificial barriers to service with the underlying premise that the only thing that should matter to join our military is your ability to do the job. We repealed Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We opened... It took our president to do that. We opened all remaining positions to women. And we... 
And we instituted a policy for open transgender service. And each time we did this, critics told us that we would undermine the force. And each time we did this, we showed them that they were wrong. And you and countless others were a part of this. Person after person coming up, coming out, standing up, and demanding to be counted. And in the military, showing that they could do the job just as well as anybody else. And in society, changing perceptions in a way that brought about massive generational change. The 18-year-olds we recruit today come out of a very different society than the four-star generals who command them. Because they've grown up with different exposure, different experiences, and have seen firsthand that things like gender identity, race, sexual orientation, and gender don't have to be barriers. I'm often asked for advice from young service members who are contemplating coming out. Yes, even after the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, some people don't feel comfortable coming out. I tell them there's a large group of people that we know support them, and they support us. But there's also a large group of people waiting for an opportunity to show that they too support us. I saw this numerous points in my career, particularly in how people would bend over backwards to make my partner feel welcome at military events and using that also as an opportunity to show their support for me. And yes, there are people who are opposed to our fight, but many of them are open to change. And when they see us just living our lives and realize that the sun sets and the next day it'll rise again, it changes their perceptions. There's still a small number who are strongly opposed to the advances that we've made. But I ask these service members, why they'd base such a critical decision regarding their own lives on the potential worst-case scenario of this relatively small number of people. So we have come very far, but we're not done yet, which is why we need to support organizations like the Matthew Shepard Foundation, because some of that small minority opposed to change that we're fighting for, some of these people are in important positions in government today. You know who they are, and it goes all the way to the top. And they are coming after rights we fought hard to achieve. And in particular, they are coming after our trans brothers and sisters. And you saw just two days ago, 45, I don't even want to call him that, spoke at the Values Voter Forum in Washington, DC organized by the Family Research Council, the first president in the history of our country to speak at that forum. And he said he was going to stand up for our Constitution, which is great when you consider the Constitution is founded on equality, but you would have had to have read the Constitution to know that. <laughs> He also said he was going to stand up for family values, 
which I found encouraging as well, because I look around this room, and can you tell me a better, stronger family than what's in this room right now? But that commander-in-chief looks at thousands of people in uniform, our trans brothers and sisters, who are serving in our patriotic and says, as their commander-in-chief, responsible for their well-being, that they're not worthy of service. But let me tell you, let me let you in on a little secret, a not very well-kept secret. The president can't stop these changes from happening because they already have happened. In every case in the last eight years where we extended opportunities in the military for service to those previously and unfairly denied them, we were actually just catching up with reality. Blacks fought for this country well before Truman integrated the military in 1947. <laughs> Women have been fighting and bleeding and dying alongside men since the founding of this nation. And we know that gays have been a part of militaries since the beginning of time. And now trans. It's not a debate, as I said, about letting trans Americans serve in uniform. There are thousands serving today. They have been recruited. They have been trained. They are deployed around the world, many in harm's way. They are patriots. And we have spent tens and hundreds of millions of dollars to put them in these jobs. And they're doing us proud. Society is changing, and it's changing because brave people like Matthew Shepard and more and more of them every day are insisting that they have the right to live their lives openly and honestly. They are changing hearts and minds. They are replacing hate with understanding and making our country stronger as a result. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of celebrating that change tonight, to help honor the memory of Matthew Shepard and all the work that the Matthew Shepard Foundation does to help this country live up to the values upon which it was founded. Thank you. That was Eric Fanning, former Secretary of the Army. Wow, what an impressive guy. Well, a highlight of the gala every year is to hear from the woman who started it all, Matthew's mother, and the president of the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Here she is, Judy Shepard. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate your kindness. I know it's been a, a well, it's been a long evening. Um, and I've been really wrestling with my remarks for tonight. If you've been here before, you know that that usually isn't the problem. Um, sometimes I vocalize when I really shouldn't use those words. Uh, I've been using those words a lot more lately. Um, yeah, it's, I kind of got in trouble for it last time. So I'm up here tonight, right now, to connect the dots. From everyone who's spoken tonight, from the Spirit of Matthew Award winners, Alyssa and Jamie, Jason, 
Daniel, it's like, okay, we have a common thread here. We all have a story to tell. And those stories have impacted tonight. Those stories have impacted all of us. Maybe we relate to them because it's our story. Maybe we know or love somebody who has a similar story. Uh, maybe the outcome wasn't as positive as tonight, or maybe it was more positive than it was tonight for some of their stories. What we try to do at the Matthew Shepherd Foundation is to include everyone who is feeling marginalized. The most uplifting moment for me after the inauguration, and I needed an uplifting moment after the inauguration, <laughs> was what was billed as the Women's March. Now, yes, it was amazing. It was wonderful. It was wonderful, but the whole time I'm watching the world protest the inauguration of 45, it was yeah, that's what I call him. Um, the idea that it was a, a, a movement around the world, but it was not just about women's issues, right? It was immigrants, it was LGBTQ, it was environment, it was people of color, it was, it was everybody. It was the perfect example of the most current buzzword of intersectionality. Now, as individuals, we are not one thing, right? I'm, I'm a cisgender woman, uh, non-practicing Christian, um, only because I was baptized that, baptized? So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I am many things. I am many things. I'm a Wyoming native. There's not very many of those, right? Um, I am many things. So all of us as individuals, we are many things. We are not just one thing. Our movement is not just one thing. We need everybody's ideas and everybody's attention and everybody's actions and everybody's calling their congressman and everybody's signing petitions and everybody, remember this, everybody voting. Now, in my heart, I feel like the people who actually elected number 45 are the people who didn't vote. So, so in 2018, let's, let's make it our mission to register voters. Let's make it our mission to actually get them to the polls. Let's make it our mission to find out what our candidates actually want to do for us, or perhaps what they want to do to us. Um, let's, let's stay engaged. Please, let's stay engaged. One march, one call, one petition, that is not going to work this time. We need a constant pressure from everybody in every part of the country that is of the marginalized groups, of the protected classes as defined by the government, um, disability, ethnicity, race, religion, LGBTQ, gender identity, perception, all those things, classified, protected, classification, protected categories. We have to work together to get this done. Now, in the past, we've heard, well, this group doesn't really want to work with that group because they don't own proof of this, or yada, 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 whatever. We're all trying to accomplish the same thing, equity, equality, safety, and security. Why can't we do that together?
Now, I know all of you watched, well, actually, that's not true. Um, you heard about the inauguration. Uh, <clears throat> you heard a lot of different stories about the inauguration, am I right? Um, but I hope what you paid attention to were the Senate hearings for the cabinet members, because they're not our friends either. 45's appointments want to hurt us just as much as he does, and I'm not really sure he even knows what he's doing. He's just listening to Pence and Sessions, and, you know, the list goes on. <clears throat> I'm not sure this is a man who thinks about anything, really. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I also feel he totally lacks empathy. What he really wants is to have his name talked about all the time, and is constantly thinking ways to do that, whether they're good for us or not. It's just about him. But we need to be equally worried about, or perhaps even more worried about, the cabinet members and the appointments that he's making in the U.S. Attorney's offices and the judges. We can't just let the rest of us slide under the table and not be reading about the little things that are happening in Congress or not happening in Congress that they're taking away from us that the press isn't talking about or isn't the lead issue because it's not volatile enough. It is just as critical to our survival, all of us. So, so, um, so I'm up here to connect the dots. Everybody has a story and needs to tell their story and share their story. You need to gather together. You need to organize amongst your local communities, not just in an election time, but all the time. Um, participate in protests. Do those petitions. Call your congressman. Let him know when you like what they're doing, if that's happening, or not. You don't like what they're doing, because we know that's happening. We have to pay attention. We cannot get so worn out by all the bad news that we forget such good news. Alyssa and Jamie, tonight, were such perfect examples of where the younger generation is going to take us. <laughs> Unfortunately, right now, our government is still in the um, generation of the 50s, straight white old men. Republicans, no offense to anybody out there, straight white old men, Dennis. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I mean pearly. Uh, <coughs> and it, even though Dennis isn't a Republican, it's like, we live in Wyoming, so not everybody in Wyoming is a Republican. They keep telling us, you're all coming back, right? Because we need you here. Uh, there's, we're not the only Democrats in Wyoming. There's like 12 of us. <laughs> um, anyway, I digress. My point is, this is a community fight. This is a, it takes a village moment. And we all need to stay engaged in our own way. In our comfort zone, sure. Out of our comfort zone, please. Take on something new. Uh, put yourselves out there for something, learn something new, talk to new people, find out what their problems are, listen to what they are trying to tell you about what they are going through too. Uh, we spend too much time in our own little bubble of, <clears throat> our own little bubble of uh, our own group maybe. There are more issues out there than LGBT issues or race issues or religion, it's everybody. We need to listen. We need to pay attention and we need to work together. 
I want to thank you tonight for your continued patronage of the work that we do. You come to this gala every year. I appreciate it so much. Um, you know we couldn't do this work without you, and not just financially, but your heart and soul is with us every day we do it. So thank you very much. Well, it's been another extraordinary evening here in Denver. The speakers left me inspired, and I hope their words touched you as well. If you'd like to read more about the story of Matthew Shepard and the work of the Matthew Shepard Foundation, go to their website at matthewshepard.org and matthewsplace.com. We'll have those links on our own website at outbeatnews.com. And I'll be back next month with another edition of Outbeat News in Depth. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Greer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB-FM Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News In-Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at outbeatnews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I give it up to Broken down and tired of living life on the merry-go-round. And you can't find a fighter, but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out. Move mountains, we gon' walk it out and move mountains. And I rise up, I rise like the day, I rise up, I rise unafraid, I rise up, and I do it a thousand eight times again. And I rise up, I like the waves, I rise up, in spite of the ache, I rise up, and I Silence is quiet And it feels like it's getting hard to breathe And I know you feel like dying But I promise we'll take the world to its feet Move our tents Bring it to its feet
we have each other And for that we have each other And we will rise, we will rise, we will rise Oh, oh, oh. we'll rise I'll rise up, rise like the day in spite of the age, I will rise a thousand times again, and we'll